This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So, whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So, download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, and welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Marvelous Joe. And I'm his twin brother, Johnny DC. And happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Jonathan and I are going to do this episode in our low voices, so you guys can listen to this episode in the background while spending quality time with your loved one and not have it be dorky and weird. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, This episode, we're going to review the Valentine's Day special called Harley Quinn, a very problematic Valentine's Day special, which came out on HBO Max this past week. DC is releasing specials kind of like how Marvel did on Halloween with Werewolf by Night and Around Christmas with the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special. Yeah, it's kind of nice to have specials during the holidays to review. And since Harley Quinn is such a romantic series, it made sense that it had a Valentine's Day special. Yeah, the special ended up being just an extended episode of the show itself, but we'll talk all about the special later on this episode. Before that, we're going to break down the comic book movie news to come out this past week, of which we got two new trailers during the Super Bowl. We got the Flash official trailer and the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 new trailer is what they're calling it. So we're going to talk about that. As always, we list our segment times in our episode description, so feel free to check out the show notes if you want to skip ahead to a particular topic. Don't forget, guys, to join us on Patreon, where we offer ad-free episodes of this show, access to our Discord chat community, where you can chat with us and fellow listeners, and access to our new Infinity Crisis Marvel vs. DC deck-building card game. Check it out right now at patreon.com slash dynamicduel, which is linked in our show notes. You can find the link there. Our lowest dynamic 2-0 tier is only 2 bucks a month. And in our fantastic $4 tier, you get all of that plus access to our monthly bonus episodes, including blooper reels and top 10 shows, as well as the visual data from our dual episodes at no extra cost. And finally, our X-Force tier, which is $10 a month, gets you all that, and you get to become an executive producer of this show and help us determine our episode content. Again, visit patreon.com slash dynamicduel and pick a tier that works for you. If you're interested in supporting the show but not able to join Patreon, then stop by our website, dynamicduel.com, and subscribe to our weekly newsletter, where we keep you informed on all things going on with the show, and you get free access to the visual data of the results from our latest Duel episode when you sign up and confirm your email. 
Thanks to everyone who helps support the show. It means a lot to Jonathan and myself. And we want to help encourage people to join Patreon by including a special sneak peek of one of our blooper reels at the end of this episode. So be sure to stay tuned when we sign off on this episode, listen to the blooper reel, and consider joining Patreon to support the show. But with that out of the way, quick to the no prize. Let me do that in my sultry voice. Quick to the no prize. (laughs) Oh, yeah. A no prize is an award that Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Dual No Prize, is a digital award that we post on Instagram and in our newsletter for the person that we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. Last week, we asked which of the 10 upcoming DC projects announced by James Gunn are you most and least looking forward to and why? Yeah, we got quite a few answers here. Let's go ahead and run down our honorable mention answers as well as the no prize winner, starting with an honorable mention for Matt Lamb, who said, Hey guys, Matt Lamb here. So to start off with the worst one would definitely be Paradise Lost. Um, I see it as being the less connective of all the movies and TV shows. And it just it just did not hit any, any strings with me. Um, the one I am most interested in and the one that I think will have the most legs and connectability would be Creature Commandos and do it like a mix between the first Hellboy and the movie Overlord. Yeah, in regards to Paradise Lost, I do have to agree that the prequel nature of it that takes place probably, you know, thousands of years in the past does make it sort of a strange addition to the new DCU timeline. I'm not sure anyone ever asked for this series. And while I do think it can be Game of Thrones-esque as they've been selling it, I do wonder how it fits into the larger narrative. We don't know whether or not it'll show like young Diana or something like that. I think it'll feel a little bit more relevant to the larger DCU if it does have young Diana and maybe even tell her origin story. Yeah, no, I think that'd be great how Zeus and Hippolyta had to hide her from Hera and stuff like that. You know, I think that's interesting. But to move on to Creature Commandos, I agree. I'm really looking forward to Creature Commandos. I love the Creature Commandos. It's such a really cool concept. And I think James Gunn can just nail the tone. So I'm I'm absolutely looking forward to that. Well, you know, he's dabbled in horror films and stuff like that, but he has a lot of fun with his films. And I I think this kind of like Monster Mash team of heroes fits the bill. Yeah, it'll have comedy. It'll have horror. It'll have action. It'll have it all. And I'm there for it. Great answer, Matt Lamb. Our next honorable mention goes to Jose Marcial, who said, The project that I'm looking forward to the most is The Authority, because they're like the Justice League, but with greater morals. They believe that the ends justify the means. They're not above killing people or destroying planets. Also, Midnight and Apollo are the most interesting couple in DC. Midnight himself is a huge badass. You should read his solo series from the New 52. And the project that I'm looking forward to the least, I would say, is Creature Commandos. Just because we don't know too much about it. We don't know who is actually in the team or not. Well, that's interesting. It seems like Jose Marcial is least looking forward to what Matt Lamb is most looking forward to in the Creature Commandos. Yeah, but Jose said it was because we didn't know who was going to be on the team. When we actually do, however, uh, it's going to be Rick Flagg Sr., Nina Mazursky, who is uh, like the, the aquatic creature from the Black Lagoon type character. Dr. Phosphorus, Eric Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, G.I. Robots, and of course, Weasel. And I think that's a terrific lineup. The roster of this team is actually what gets me most excited for this animated series. But are you as excited for the Authority movie as Jose Marcial is? 
Probably not, though. I understand why people are excited for it, you know, considering the success of shows like The Boys and stuff like that. Yeah, as he described it, it's the Justice League with grayer morals. Right. Yeah. And you could explore, you know, different themes and ethical issues with the authority that you could probably never do with the Justice League. They're a team of badasses, as Jose said. So I see the appeal. I just maybe haven't read enough of them to to really be fully on board with it. And you know, I probably should. I probably will. Absolutely. Before the movie comes out. Yeah, we'll probably do some dual episodes with those characters on that team around when the movie comes out. Yeah, I've been wanting to do an Apollo versus Icarus duel uh, ever since the Eternals movie came out. I think that'll be awesome. That would be cool. Maybe even one of our team duels could be like the Eternals versus the Authority. Or Squadron Supreme. One of those. Yeah, absolutely. Great answer, Jose Marcial. Let's move on to our final honorable mention from Mike Luther, who said... Hey, this is Mike Luther from the Nerds United podcast. I wanted to say that my what I'm least looking forward to is the authority, simply because I have no idea what that's about. But by far, the mo- what I'm most looking forward to is the Swamp Thing, especially if they do Alan Moore's version. And I'm really hoping the Swamp Thing leads into a Justice League Dark movie, because I desperately want a live-action Justice League Dark movie. It's interesting that the thing that Mike Luther is least looking forward to, the authority, (laughs) is what Jose Marcial was most looking forward to. Yeah, you know, like I mentioned, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of DC fans aren't looking to the authority as much as other projects because, you know, the authority was originally a Wildstorm comic, right? Um, And the only thing with the authority that I've really read has been stuff from the New 52 with like Stormwatch stuff like that. So you got to get on that. Yes, yes, I do. But like Mike Luther, one of the projects I'm most looking forward to is also Swamp Thing, which is supposed to be based on Alan Moore's work, according to James Gunn. And that's awesome. That's really cool. I know that Alan Moore's work also inspired Guillermo del Toro for his Justice League Dark film, which I'm really sad that we never got. And I also hope that this leads into that. Fingers crossed. Yeah, Justice League Dark film would be awesome for sure. I hope we get a Midnight Suns film first, though, just just to beat you guys to the punch. Oh, with characters like Man-Thing and like Werewolf by Night in it? Yep. Yeah, you're just ripping off our Swamp Thing series that we had on CW and the DC Universe platform. Which no one saw, but was really, really good. And I still hope like we can review that first season someday on the show. Yeah, I'd love to, honestly. Anything to get rid of the taste of that Swamp Thing movie that we reviewed. (laughs) Which is gross sounding. But congrats to Mike Luther. We also want to give a special shout out to Colby Henches, who said that he was most looking forward to The Lantern Show, along with Cornelius Robinson. And Scott Camacho said he was most looking forward to the Brave and the Bold Batman and Robin movie. But the winner of this week's No Prize is Miggy Mathingian, who said... Hey, what's up, guys? This is Miggy. And the movie I'm looking forward to the most is Superman Legacy. He's always been one of my favorite characters, and I'm looking forward to how they're going to characterize him, um, being hopeful and fighting for truth, justice, in the American way. A close second for me will be Supergirl, because I love the book by King and Evely. The movie I'm looking forward to the least is Swamp Thing, because I'm not a horror fan, and I never, the character never appealed to me. Let me guess. So it's interesting that Mike Luther's <laughs> most anticipated project is also Maggie Mathingian's least anticipated project. Correct. Yeah, basically, it just tells me that like DC fans don't really know what they want. It tells me that there's something for everyone and there's a lot to get excited about. Oh, quite the optimist. 
Hell yeah, dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I most agree with Miggy here in terms of what he's most excited for. And that's Superman Legacy. Superman Legacy needs to be perfect, honestly, because for me, Superman has always really embodied the spirit of what DC Comics is. And if you can't nail him, you're going to have a really hard time convincing me that you can nail anything else in DC. One might say that was the thing that was wrong with the DCEU because they didn't 100% nail the Superman character and therefore they had a hard time building an entire universe around that tone. I loved Man of Steel. I think that's a fantastic movie, but I definitely agree with you that starting off with that tone definitely posed a challenge for the rest of the universe. So here's hoping that we get started off on the right foot with Superman Legacy. Uh, In regards to Swamp Thing, uh, Miggy, you're wrong. Swamp Thing's awesome, and you should absolutely be looking forward to that. Because it's not just about horror, it's about mysticism and injustice and love. Yeah, apparently, Miggy, the uh, Swamp Thing television series was pretty good, so maybe check that out. For sure. For sure. Everyone, everyone, not just Miggy, everyone do that. I don't know how you'll do it, but do it. It's on HBO Max, is it not? No. What? Oh. Well, fuck that then. (laughs) Yeah, I think you have to get it on iTunes or something like that. They they need to put more DC stuff back up on HBO Max. It sucks. I agree. But congrats again to Mickey Mouth and Gian for winning this week's No Prize. If you, the listener, want a shot at winning your own No Prize, stay tuned to later on this episode when we'll be asking another question of the week. And now that that's done, on to the news. Okay, I can't exactly say that I've been looking forward to the Flash movie. I'm a big fan of the Flash, but with Ezra Miller's criminal behavior and their personal life, it's been hard to get excited about this movie until this trailer came out. (laughs) This movie looks so much cooler than I thought it was going to be. You know, we haven't seen anything (laughs) from this film since the fandom back in, what, 2021? Yeah, there was like a first look that was about a minute long or so. Didn't really give much of anything away. No, we, you know, we got teases of Michael Keaton's Batman. You know, we heard him talking about how the Flash can travel to different timelines and universes. So why is he choosing this one? Here we finally get an answer. And it's because his mom is alive in this universe. And that sort of sets up this trailer along with Ben Affleck's version of Batman, who's kind of warning Ezra Miller from tinkering with the timeline and the past, which is really cool. I love seeing Ben Affleck as Batman on that motorcycle, just comparing it to Robert Pattinson's version of Batman on his motorcycle. This one is definitely, you know, more upgraded tech wise. Yeah, they're two very different Batman. I got to say, I'm going to really miss Ben Affleck's version of Batman because it seems like this is definitely his last go at the character. Yeah, especially now that we've heard rumors that Ben Affleck has been cut from the Aquaman movie. But as Barry Allen explains in the trailer, you know, certain people in universes are attracted like magnets to others across the multiverse. And we see Barry Allen run into himself in kind of an interesting exchange. The Ezra Miller version of Barry with the short hair even like almost nearly chokes out the version with the long hair. And I'm like, whoa, dude, come on. This isn't some woman in Iceland that you're dealing with. This is you. (laughs) But these two berries seem to run into a dilemma where their rewriting of history has changed the universe so that there's no more metahumans, which is a really interesting setup. Yeah, there's no one to protect the planet when Zod and his crew arrive from the Phantom Zone on Earth. 
which is crazy. Like I had heard rumors that Michael Shannon was going to reappear as Zod in this movie. I didn't really believe them, but it looks like they're true. And that's really awesome because Michael Shannon Zod to me was one of the more interesting villains, if not the most interesting villain to come out of the DCEU. It looks like Zod has come for the Phantom Drive that was connected to the Kryptonian spaceship that sent Kara, not Clark, to this Earth. And it looks like they're pulling straight from the Flashpoint comic book because in that storyline, the government found Kal-El's rocket ship and kept him in this government prison for his whole life, just away from sunlight. So because there's no Betty Humans and because Supergirl is weak, the two berries have to go to Batman, who in this universe is Michael Keaton's version. And his reveal was just as awesome as I hoped it would be. You know, everything from the line of I'm Batman to like gliding down with his wings extended, picking a guy up and then slamming him to the ground. His Batcave, the suits, the Batmobile, it was all just really cool and perfectly underscored by the Danny Elfman Batman theme. That was really cool to hear again. It did seem like it was a little bit hard for Michael Keaton to speak in the mask, like and move his jaw. Did you get that impression? No. All right. Never mind. I don't know about that. What I do know is that apparently the second Barry gets powers from the DCEU Barry. It looks like a lightning bolt goes through his chest into the long haired Barry, which is interesting. I'm still not sure if they're trying to set up the fact that this long-haired Barry is like the reverse Flash in some way. That might be a little bit easier than, you know, what they did in the comic books, which is a little bit more convoluted. But it looks like one has yellow lightning and one has blue lightning. I'm still not sure which is which, but I do like that they're going to differentiate the characters. Well, it's interesting that we see another shot in this trailer where the bat plane is like channeling some lightning as well into Barry. Oh, yeah, like a kite. Yeah, down like a bat rope kind of thing. Yeah, maybe Long Hair Barry gets his powers intentionally and it wasn't like an accident or something like that. But uh, going back to Kara, Supergirl, we get to see her in action flying around, which is really cool. And the last shot of her flying alongside the bat plane with her red cape and blue suit. Oh, my gosh. It's something I wish we kind of got to see in Batman v Superman. Yeah, I mean, like the Batplane was there, but we never got to see them fly side by side, like in the daylight, get a really clear view of that. Right. My favorite shot of the whole trailer was when we got to see the Flash create this dust devil tornado thing. Oh, yeah. Did you see that part? Yeah, that, that was, was cool. pretty cool. I also liked the ring. He's wearing the Flash ring and just seeing that thing like open up and start to like wrap around his finger. I wonder if his whole suit is going to come from that because it looks like it's going to be pretty cool. Just watching this trailer, I definitely and beginning to understand like why Warner Brothers has been so protective of Ezra Miller and try to sort of avoid all the controversy and drama surrounding him because they know they have a really good movie on their hands, it looks like. And uh, it looks like it just may live up to the hype that they are creating around the movie. It definitely has the potential, as you can see through the trailer. I'm a little bit bummed about the fact that like we have The Flash's very first movie come out and like you even see like the title card of The Flash and immediately the shot after is Supergirl flying next to the Batplane. I hope that they don't take too much of the center stage away from the title character and hopefully it still remains his movie first and foremost. I think it'll be as much his movie as, you know, Flashpoint was his comic storyline which, you know, I, I think it absolutely was. There was a lot of cameos from a lot of characters, but I don't see this being too different from something like Captain America Civil War. But that was also Cap's third movie. He had led two other films by that point. 
But this is also the Flash's fifth appearance. Yeah, a bunch of cameos and one supporting role in the Justice League film. It's fine because we already know he's a part of an established universe. So it's okay if we have those characters appear in his film. DC took a different path and I don't think anyone's bothered by it right now. I'm bothered by it. You're just bothered by it just to be bothered by something. Go be bothered about something else. (laughs) <laughs> From what we know of the Flash film and what James Gunn has said about it, how it you know resets the DC universe, it looks like this film borrows a lot from Flashpoint, but I think it's actually going to act more like a Crisis on Infinite Earths type comic, where it's going to take this multiverse with a multitude of characters and create a new timeline using some of those characters and their backstories and change others. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this sort of sets up what is to come in the DC film universe. The movie comes out June 16th, and that can't come fast enough. But what comes sooner than that movie is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which we got a trailer for also during the Super Bowl. They called it the new trailer, but it didn't have entirely new material. There were some stuff that was rehashed here that we saw in the trailer that came out at the end of 2022. Overall, the old trailer had a much more somber, serious tone to it and made us feel like we were really going to go on an emotional roller coaster. This particular trailer had a much more jokey tone to it. So overall, it seems like the movie is going to have a bit of both going on. I didn't like the way this trailer started off, though, because we have Peter Quill saying, I'm Star-Lord, and I fell in love with this woman and she died and she came back and she was a dick. It was just the complete like 180 from the previous trailer. It definitely feels like his opening lines were, you know, edited together from different parts of the film. You know, it didn't feel cohesive. Absolutely. Yeah, they were kind of Frankensteined. But it is good to see that a lot of the Guardians trademark humor is still in full effect here. There were some emotional elements toward the end where we, you know, have that same shot that we've already seen of Peter Quill in utter distress. We still don't know what he's looking at, but it seems like the high evolutionary is really going to do quite the number on this team. There's a lot of speculation going around uh, regarding who may or who may not die at the end of this film, considering it's likely the last that we'll see of these characters for a while. Right, because James Gunn has moved on to DC to head up their film division, DC Studios. Right. We did get some better shots in this trailer of the High Evolutionary, who's played by Chadwuki Iwuji, who was from the Peacemaker television show. He was great in that series, and he looks like he's going to be pretty formidable here. As we discussed in the last trailer, it looks like Marvel's combining several story arcs from the comics into one, including Rocket Raccoon's origin story on Half-World and Counter-Earth and the Animen, who are overseen by the High Evolutionary, which I think is a brilliant new take on Rocket Raccoon's origin. I thought the line that Rocket gave was fascinating when he said, he doesn't want to make a perfect world, he just hates the way things are. That was profound. That was great. Such a great motivation for this truly evil character. And I think in his pursuit of perfection, he's also going to have a large hand in the development of Adam Warlock, which is a little bit confusing because we know that Adam Warlock was created by the sovereign race uh, Aisha at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but it's possible that she got help from the High Evolutionary. He appears to be ordering Adam Warlock to incinerate the Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's how they end up fighting. But it's likely by the end of this film that Adam Warlock is going to be a good guy and rebel against the High Evolutionary since he's a good guy in the comics. Just to touch on the High Evolutionary's look for a second. Yeah, that is really good makeup. It's like (laughs) grotesque to look at. But man, that was well done. The way it looks like his face is just kind of like stretched over, you know, like something underneath. It's just weird. Yeah, it's kind of reminiscent of RoboCop, like the way that looked. 
it's pretty gross, but, you know, effective. I'm really fascinated at what the story is going to be for this film, especially coming off the holiday special where we see that the Guardians are now essentially in charge of the planet Nowhere, which is the head of the Celestial out in space. Where they go from there, meeting up with the High Evolutionary and possibly suffering real emotional loss, I think it's going to be a real heartfelt goodbye to this franchise. Yeah, it definitely looks like it's going to pack an emotional punch. The second half of this trailer was very emotional, I would say, just with the music and the visuals and everything you see going on. What did you think of the music in this trailer? I wasn't familiar with the song. I guess it's sung by a band called Rainbow. It's an okay song, but I like the song that they used for the previous trailer more. But all these movies have great soundtracks, so I'm sure it's going to be great regardless. I definitely thought the closing scene, like the closing joke where Peter is sort of falling for Nebula, was kind of interesting. Zoe Saldana definitely seems to be playing a different version of Gamora. It's cool that her performance is able to portray that. Yeah, totally. I'm not quite thrilled with the idea of Peter Quill considering a relationship with Nebula in that moment because it seems to kind of disavow his entire character arc leading out of the holiday special where he was just so hung up on this one true love of his life. But it was kind of a funny gag, just the interaction. Yeah, I agree. He's like, I never knew how black your eyes were. She's like, my father ripped him out of my head to torture me and gave me these. And he's like, well, you know, they were very lovely eyes. <laughs> this movie comes out in just a few months on May 5th. It'll kickstart the summer movie season. And I don't think that can come even sooner enough than you think The Flash can come soon enough. I don't know what the fuck you just said, but I know you're wrong. <laughs> But in regards to both of these trailers that came out during the Superb Owl, that brings us to our question of the week. Which Super Bowl trailer did you enjoy the most? The Flash or Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and why? Record your answer at dynamicduel.com by clicking on the red microphone button in the bottom right-hand corner, which will prompt you to leave us a voicemail. Your message could be up to 30 seconds long, and don't forget to leave your name in case we include you on the podcast. We'll pick our favorite answer and award that person a Dynamic Duel No Prize that we'll post to Instagram and our email newsletter. Be sure to answer before February 18th. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But I think that does it for all the news for this episode. So let's go ahead and move into our main event where we review Harley Quinn, a very problematic Valentine's Day special. A very problematic Valentine's Day special is a 45-minute special episode of the Harley Quinn animated series on HBO Max. 
It is the final work of the show's original showrunners, Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern, who are stepping down for season four of the series and being replaced by writer Sarah Peters. The show has been a huge hit for HBO Max. You know, it won the Critics' Choice Award for Best Animated Series just last month. So when they asked for an animated special that could air between seasons three and four, a Valentine's Day special made the most sense considering where season three left off. The special is somewhat standalone, though it's only going to fully make sense if you're caught up on all three seasons of the show. And I definitely recommend watching those because they're hilarious. Yeah, I mean, you'd be doing yourself a favor by watching them. I was skeptical at first prior to us reviewing season three. I binged the first two seasons and the third one, and it was well worth my time. It's just a great funhouse mirror version of the DC Comics universe. Yeah, watch those, then watch the Valentine's Day special, then listen to this podcast episode <laughs> if you want to avoid spoilers. Fair warning, though, Harley Quinn's very problematic Valentine's Day special is for adults only. Though that should come as no surprise to people familiar with the show, which of course is based around the life of a Gotham City villain as she finds herself and new love after her breakup with the Joker. I've described the Harley Quinn series as crass and violent and hilarious, but it's also incredibly heartfelt, and that heart was definitely present in this episode. As Harley attempts to give Poison Ivy the best Valentine's Day ever, she accidentally nearly causes Gotham City to be destroyed, and by the end learns not only that you can show love simply by listening selflessly, but also that a relationship's strength isn't always defined by its big moments. Sometimes it's defined by small intimate ones. It's the little things that count, such as when Harley Quinn, back when she was a doctor at Arkham Asylum, gave Ivy chocolate milk in her cell during an extremely low and vulnerable time in her life. Yeah, for as crass and crude as the show and the special can be, I do think that it's just as defined by its tender moments and like just very real, introspective, almost therapeutic moments. Yeah, I've kind of realized, you know, as we've been watching shows like Harley Quinn and Peacemaker and movies like The Suicide Squad or The Guardians of the Galaxy, humor mixed with heartfelt emotion is a really potent mix and one that I definitely respond to. And I think a lot of people respond to. Yeah, well, it's kind of interesting because the show pokes fun at life while simultaneously discovering what's profound about it. Yeah, totally. That's a great way to put it. The thing with this special in particular, though, is that I wish it had more of those heartfelt moments than it did. I think the special definitely teetered toward more of the crass and crude humor. And, you know, throughout the seasons, there are episodes that lean one way or the other. But like when I saw Bane shoving his big old dong into a building and humping it into collapse, just like the Rampage video game, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would agree with you there, because I would say this special had just as much heart as, you know, an episode of the series. And I think there was not only the heartfelt moments between Harley and Ivy, but there was, you know, even something between Playface and his own ass. And, you know, I, I think the okay. heart of the episode itself is reinforced by the recurring tribute to the When Harry Met Sally film. Well, I never saw that movie, so I didn't get these references. Oh, you haven't seen that movie? You need to see that movie. It's a romantic comedy that features interviews from like various couples throughout its runtime. So this was absolutely a tribute to that. In the special, you know, we revisit the Music Meister's couples therapy couch from season three. This time featuring Superman and Lois, Hawkman and Hawkgirl, 
Killer Croc and Enhantress, seemingly from the Suicide Squad movie, which I thought was interesting. Aquaman and Mera and Darkseid and Melania Trump. <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize it was her at first. It took me a while to figure out who that was. Yeah. You know, they were admittedly filler for the episode, those interviews, and, and some of them were, you know, fairly forgettable, but I actually liked the homage overall. And I did think, you know, there were some lessons to be learned from there, like with Superman and Lois. It's just, it's sweet. It's just sweetness for Valentine's Day. Did you have a favorite one out of those interview segments? I did like the Aquaman and Mera one, how she was explaining how she was an assassin raised to kill him, but then they met and she obviously didn't do that. Then at the end, she was like, but also death to all surface dwellers. Yeah. And he was like, uh, you know, they're fine. They're fine. She was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) My favorite one was the dark side Melania Trump one. It was great. (laughs) Now, ever since Harley and Ivy became a couple at the very end of season two, the showrunners had been adamant that under their watch, their relationship would survive anything Gotham could throw at them. And this Valentine's Day special continues to reinforce that despite their villainous and arguably insane natures. They have a healthy and mature relationship, one that can even survive a naked Bane kaiju destroying Gotham City with his raging boner. (laughs) I think I mentioned this during our review of season three. It's one of the things that I like about the show is just how kind of mature this show can approach relationships despite all the other immaturity going around. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The the relationships feel real uh, in a way that I've never really seen in like animated fare before. It's great because you can relate to it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Bane's story in this special was actually one that Schumacher and Halpern had been trying to squeeze into the main series, but hadn't been able to. And honestly, in a special full of laugh-out-loud juvenile humor, I thought his story about being confused for a sadomasochist by a dominatrix who humiliates guys with small penises (laughs) was one of the most hilarious things to come out of the entire series. Up until the point that he grew big, I would agree with you. The whole Brett Goldstein thing kind of lost me. But the fact that he kind of stumbled into this like BDSM session, right away you start seeing the gears turn because he's of average endowment, but also has this massive frame. So it looks small in proportion. Like dudes who take steroids, yeah, that's an issue for them. You know, they got shrinky bits down there. And uh, it's probably almost definitely the case for Bane, considering he injects himself with venom, which are like super steroids. And that's his whole power, basically. Yeah, no, it's it's about time someone brought this up for the character. (laughs) It's an issue that needs to be addressed. Absolutely. (laughs) I loved the stuff with Bane. I also did not really care for the Brett Goldstein stuff. I have no idea who that guy is. He's in the show Ted Lasso. The only reason I know that is because I kind of read up on the guy after his cameo at the end of Thor Love and Thunder as the character of Hercules. Um, Oh, okay. But I've never seen Ted Lasso, and I feel like that was almost a vital component to watching this special. I agree. I agree. Besides the Bane stuff, though, I would say my other favorite moment from the special as a whole was when Harley Quinn and Ivy are chasing the mobsters with the recipe for the Lazit balls. And Ivy even kills like the CEO of Luxor Oil. And then she realizes, <laughs> oh, Harley, did you stage all of this for me? And then she's like, yes, happy Valentine's Day. And everyone starts clapping with like blood all around and stuff like that. Even the guys <laughs> who like whose mobster friends died. Yeah, they just committed this heinous act of murder. And yet it was all just a setup for this, you know, amazing Valentine's Day event culminating with Etrigan shooting out these Hellfire fireworks. 
That was yeah, nice. that was kind of random. I think maybe that was just to introduce Etrigan, but I was laughing big time. Yeah, it was my favorite part of the special, but it also took place within like the first 10 minutes of the special. So I feel like it started out great, but progressively got a little bit duller as it went. Especially because I think they kind of like ran the Clayface joke into the ground where he's in love with his own ass, you know? <laughs> like it was funny yeah. for the first few scenes that it was featured. But once they're in like those plastic bubbles, so they can't touch each other and reabsorb each other. Right. By the time they got to that point, I was like, OK, you know, just move on. No, yeah, I, I agree. I agree. But let's talk about Clayface and Bane and everyone else in our character breakdown, starting with Harley Quinn. Now, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Kelly Kuoko is a fantastic Harley Quinn, and I'd love to see her play the character in live action. She's that good. Maybe James Gunn will hire her as part of his DCU reboot. Although, you know, he did state that he really liked working with Margot Robbie during the filming of the Suicide Squad film. But if he wanted to, he has the perfect replacement. Kelly Kuoko totally gets the character in a way that I think Margot Robbie doesn't really. I agree. Absolutely. Now, throughout the series, the central conflict always stems from Harley's insecurity. You know, whether she tries to prove that she's over the Joker or a legitimate threat to Gotham. In this special, she tries to give Ivy her best Valentine's Day ever, which I think anyone in a relationship can relate to. Like, my wife and I will be celebrating our 15-year anniversary this year. Congrats. I still feel like a tremendous amount of pressure to make sure that our Valentine's Day is at least 15 times more romantic than our first. What do you have planned for your Valentine's Day? Today? Yeah, the day this drops. Well, I guess I could say because it's it's not going to be a surprise anymore, but uh, I'm planning on sending her gifts at work. And that's it because Valentine's Day is on a weekday. We'll celebrate more this weekend. Oh, yeah. You guys are going to the movies to see Ant-Man. Marvel film is always a great date night. Well, I mean, that's that's a Thursday night, so the weekend is more dinner and romance. No one could be romantic watching a Marvel movie. What are you talking about? What did I just say? <laughs> what about you? What are you doing for Valentine's Day? Uh, there's this like mini house park in Lyons, Colorado, not too far from where we live. And there's a mini house there built like a house from the Shire from the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to just stay there. It's almost like a staycation, though, because it's so close. But it'll be fun. I got her this uh, Lord of the Rings ring that has our upcoming baby's name written in Elvish. So that'll be cool. Holy shit, you're showing everybody up. Good luck topping that next year. You're not going to be able to. (laughs) Well, I'm not like Harley Quinn. I don't have the insecurity where I feel like I have to outdo myself every time. That's good. That's good. (laughs) I just want to try to make it special because it'll be the last one that we have without the baby around, which comes in June. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. But uh, back to the show, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Harley learns that oftentimes in a relationship, it's not about you, but about the other person and what they want and how you can compromise with them. And learning to compromise takes sincere attention and listening. And Ivy tells her that explicitly. That's what helps keep a relationship going is by listening to, acknowledging, and then trying your best to fulfill the needs of this person you love. Yeah, it's reciprocal. They do it for you, you do it for them. And speaking of Poison Ivy, like Kelly Kuoko, and maybe even more so, Lake Bell embodies her character. She is a fantastic Poison Ivy. Now, Ivy and Harley work so well because they're opposites, personality-wise. They complete each other. You know, Ivy is the perfect straight-laced foil to Harley's zaniness, in the same way that Harley's compassion balances out Ivy's disdain for humanity. 
But Ivy is also more mature than Harley and is often the one that teaches Harley whatever she needs to learn. Ivy didn't really have an arc so much in this special as she had a lesson to impart. Yeah, I mean, she communicated to Harley several times that the only thing she wanted to do for Valentine's Day was binge TV, have some dinner, have some sex. Which you know, is also a great Valentine's Day. Yeah. But Harley suffers not only just from like an insecurity of having to demonstrate and prove her love and worth and things like that, but she also suffers from, I think, ADHD or something where she gets <laughs> bored easily. I don't think she would have been happy just staying and laying on the couch watching TV. She wanted to do something grand. No, yeah. With Harley, everything definitely has to be extra and like larger than life. That's very true. Moving on to Bane, he was voiced by James Adomian, who does a fantastic impression of Tom Hardy's Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. Now, a lot of single people bemoan Valentine's Day, and a Valentine's Day special wouldn't have been complete without an angle from a lonely single person's perspective. We get that from Bane, who struggles to navigate the world of dating apps due to people's terrible grammar and other unique turnoffs. <laughs> But when he finally finds interest from a dominatrix named Betty, he immediately becomes insecure regarding the size of his member, which makes sense, as we mentioned, for his character, since Venom is a type of steroid. Now, after drinking a penis enlargement potion from the demon Etrigan without reading its warning label, a pheromone-fueled Bane with an insatiable lust grows to the size of a skyscraper and starts destroying everything in sight with his massive erection. After Harley and Ivy weaponize his dating profile's list of turnoffs against him, he learns that for some women, size doesn't matter as Betty finds him and reveals that she was always simply attracted to his charisma. You know, it was really nice to see Bane have a good story arc again, considering that in season three of Harley Quinn, he was largely just bitching about how he got Poison Ivy and Kite Man a wedding gift and he right. wanted it returned. He didn't really have anything to do in season three, but he's no, such yeah. a funny, hilarious character. It's always nice to see him show up. Yeah, the whole like Tom Hardy impression shtick really fell flat for me in season three. But I thought he more than made up for that in this special. It was just so damn hilarious. Now, Clayface is the fourth main player in the special voiced to perfection by the very talented Alan Tudyk. Clayface as a character was one that also kind of overstayed his welcome in season three, like Bane. But also like Bane, I thought he shined in this special, though maybe not as brightly. Clayface getting chopped in half and falling in love with his own personified ass was brilliant because of course Clayface would only ever fall in love with himself as he's the only one who seems would ever share his passion for the dramatic. The fact that he and his ass couldn't touch was a genius wrinkle to his story as it made them tragic star-crossed lovers, right? When they finally merged, it was pretty anticlimactic. I totally thought they were going to succumb to their desires and his ass would die in an attempt at lovemaking. But uh, that never panned out, though it was probably <laughs> for the God best. Thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, definitely for the best, because like that would have been really fucking weird to see. And I'm ashamed <laughs> at myself for having imagined the premise. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, there's precedence for his story arc in a previous season of Harley Quinn, where I think it was his hand that got detached and became its own character, really. Yes. 
Yeah. So here it wasn't his hand. It was the lower half of his body using his ass to speak. It was really bizarre. And I wasn't quite sure what to think of it at first because I was a little bit repulsed. <laughs> but at the end of their first scene when he was like, how do you identify sexually? And he was like, I identify as fluid, which I thought was a great gag because they're both literally composed of like clay fluid. You know, it kind of had me rolling for like a scene or two. And then I got kind of old. No, I absolutely agree. And around the same time, back when they were both in the bubbles, when they were in the horse-drawn carriages, I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, even though the whole pheromone thing didn't really lead to anything with them. I think it was a great idea that they didn't quite know what to do with towards the end, but I'm, I'm glad that it happened. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Uh, moving on to the story highlights. Despite wanting to stay in, Ivy agrees to go out with Harley to Mama Macaroni for Valentine's Day dinner. The restaurant is suddenly held up by gun-toting mobsters looking to escape with the recipe for vegan Lazite balls. Harley and Ivy give chase and kill some of the mobsters, as well as the CEO of Luxor Oil. Ivy realizes the whole ordeal was orchestrated by Harley to give her the best Valentine's Day ever, which Ivy confesses it was, though Harley is skeptical. Do you think it's weird that Poison Ivy is a vegan? Yeah, I actually think it would make more sense if she was a carnivore. Maybe? I mean, she's very eco-conscious, so maybe I'm wrong. In the DC Superhero Girls television series, the animated show, she is a carnivore. She doesn't eat plants at all. Yeah, I think that would be the case. Because like, even at the beginning of this special, she was talking about how Valentine's Day is just like a genocide for roses. So she doesn't really like the holiday. I think she would eat exclusively animals that ate meat. Although eventually you'd get to like an animal that ate grain and therefore some plant life along the way would have to die. But I don't think she'd be comfortable eating plant life directly. Maybe. I think she might be fine eating fruit because it's not like you're meant to eat like rose heads because those don't like grow back if you cut them. Whereas fruit is meant to be eaten. It's meant to spread seeds and spread plants and stuff like that. Actually, rose blossoms will grow back if you cut them. You're actually supposed to deadhead them in order for a rose bush to thrive. At least to my understanding, that's how my wife explains it. But yeah. Still, fruits. They spread plants. Yeah, yeah. But we digress. Clayface gets catfished and lured into Crime Alley, where he's cut in half by Captain Boomerang. Bane, meanwhile, wanders Gotham streets alone until a dominatrix named Betty confuses him for being her job partner, and they hit it off while performing sadomasochistic activities on a paying customer. Which totally makes sense considering that Bane's luchador mask also highly resembles a gimp mask, you know? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I could understand why the showrunners had this idea for him all along, and I'm kind of glad that they got to fulfill that idea on screen with this special. You could tell, though, that the showrunners have just thought way too much about Bane's sex life. <laughs> All of their characters' sex lives, for sure. After pretending to go to the bathroom, Harley Quinn steals Wonder Woman's Lasso of Truth and uses it on Ivy, only to learn that her hunch was correct and the day wasn't Ivy's best Valentine's Day ever. Clayface's lower body half comes to life and the two halves realize they make the perfect romantic pair. Meanwhile, Betty teases her client over his small member size, and Bane gets insecure. After their job is done, Betty invites Bane to her house for a tryst. 
Both Harley and Bane go to the demon Etrigan for potions. Harley for a potion that will give Ivy her biggest orgasm ever, and Bane for a potion that will increase his penis size. The rhymes from Etrigan, I think, were actually top notch. <laughs> Even like the little ones where he was like, you're late. We close at 10. It's now 10.08. It's right. so good. <laughs> now, Harley's potion works, but it causes Ivy to emit pheromones over the city during climax that results in a citywide orgy. Bane is affected by the pheromones right after drinking his potion that causes him to grow to colossal size in more ways than one. Was the Harley sex scene as graphic as he thought it was going to be? No, actually, I was actually surprised by how much they covered up. I commend them for how much they covered up. Mm -hmm. We actually saw more during last season during the Court of Owls orgy, I would say. Definitely. Yeah, it was all over pretty quick, too, though. Like the spell was super fast acting, I guess. After Harley confesses that she's responsible for what's happening to the city, Giant Bane emerges and begins attempting to satiate himself with Gotham's skyscrapers. After seeing a Valentine's Day poetry reading by actor Brett Goldstein, Bane becomes infatuated with him, trampling on Clayface's two halves and causing them to re-merge with each other. I gotta say the moment that Bane grew big, though, was probably one of the better visual gags of the special as they kind of like Austin Powers blocked out his giant erection. When he first got it, he was standing right behind a hot dog billboard. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. At Harley and Ivy's suggestion, Clayface grows to Bane's size in the form of a colossal Brett Goldstein, and he begins using improper grammar, quilling Bane's libido. Betty arrives amidst the destruction and lets Bane know she still has feelings for him despite his size. As the two leave, Ivy recounts for Harley her best Valentine's Day, when Harley brought her a carton of chocolate milk in Arkham Asylum. Yeah, because it made her realize that someone actually cared in the world. It was like the first selfless act that someone had done for her ever. Yeah. Even before Harley was Harley Quinn, back when she was still Dr. Harleen Quinzel, the therapist at Arkham Asylum. Now, that wraps up the story highlights overall. Though Harley Quinn, a very problematic Valentine's Day special, was more of a season three bonus episode than a satisfying standalone special, it still boasts the laugh out loud and heartfelt moments signature to the series. I'm giving it three stars and for Rotten Tomatoes, a fresh rating. Not all of the jokes landed the way they should. There was definitely some filler there that they even admitted to at the very end for the episode to make it a certain length. This could have been just another episode in season three. I don't think it needed to necessarily be a special. Well, I mean, interestingly enough, it was listed as episode 11 of season three when you go into HBO Max to watch this. Right. Definitely felt that way. I think the episodic feel of the special kept it from actually feeling like a special. And although, yeah, some of the jokes kind of outstayed their welcome, you know, everything that's great about the show itself is still on full display here. I wouldn't say it was good as either of the Marvel specials, including Werewolf by Night and the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, but I'll put it right below that and agree with you at three stars. What rating did we give those specials? Uh, we gave Guardians of the Galaxy three and a half and Werewolf by Night four stars. I changed my rating. This was four and a half stars. Oh my God. What are you going to do about it? End this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's three stars it's three stars but uh, that does it for this review let us know what you thought about the special by writing to us at dynamicdualpodcast at gmail.com or by visiting us on instagram or twitter you can find links to all of our accounts by checking out our show notes or visiting our website dynamicduel.com 
And on our site, you can also find a link to our Patreon page where you can join our dynamic 2.0 tier and chat with us and fellow listeners, or our Fantastic Four tier, which gets you bonus content each month, or our X-Force tier that makes you an executive producer of this podcast. If you can't join Patreon, you can still support the show by signing up for our e-newsletter, also at dynamicduel.com. And don't forget, guys, to stay tuned right at the end of this episode to get a special sample of one of our blooper reels, which are exclusive to our patrons. Again, if you like the blooper reel, go to patreon.com slash dynamicduel and sign up for our $4 tier, where you can listen to all the blooper reels that we've put out. Our next episode is going to be another review where we discuss Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which I'm super excited about. It's going to introduce the villain King, and I think it's going to be awesome. I heard it's a really good sci-fi movie. One reviewer said that it was like the best Star Wars movie since Revenge of the Sith, which sounds pretty exciting. So I can't wait to see it and talk about it next week. Yeah, I'm also looking forward to seeing it. I think mostly because uh, Paul Rudd just kills it as Scott Lang. But that does it for this episode. We want to give a big thanks to our executive producers, Ken Johnson, John Storoski, Zachary Hepburn, Dustin Balcom, Mickey Matanguian, Brandon Estergaard, Nathaniel Wagner, Levi Yaton, Nick Abonto, Austin Wisolowski, AJ Dunkerley, Scott Camacho, and Gil Camacho for helping make this podcast possible. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Up, up, and away. True believers. Hi, Johnny DC at the top of the episode to say Happy New Year. I, 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 I sniffed when you started. And welcome to 2023, everyone. We've already done an episode in 2023. Ah, oh, fuck. Is shoot Check the it breeze right a phrase? Shoot the what? breeze? Shoot the breeze, fool. I've heard of shoot the shit. Do you shoot breeze? Shoot the breeze. Yeah. The fuck does that mean? Informal North American have a casual conversation. People listening in foreign countries are going to be like, what the fuck does that mean? You're going to shoot things? I don't give a fuck. Okay. We also have the X-Force tier, which is a $10 a month tier and makes you an exec and makes you an exec and makes you an... How do I do this? Executive. And makes you an executive producer of this show. No, executive. That should really be called the and force tier. What? Fuck you. Fuck you. That that was the worst joke in the history of jokes. Slap yourself. And no clapping, no clapping this time. You get access to our Discord chat community, and you get access to the... To <coughs> oh, fuck. The fuck was that? Episode 325, where we're... Episode 325, which will be a team duel between the Flash... Team, uh, team duel between 20- the Flash's rogues and the Brotherhood of Mutants. Hear that? That's me punching you. <laughs> We want to give a quick shout out to the TV and movie trivia podcast of which Joseph recently made. Uh, b- <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, quick shout want out to give a shout out to the TV and movie I trivia podcast. Can I say the previous part about uh, as always? We no, you don't get to say shit because you can't. I fucking suck. <laughs> is a digital award that we post on. Anst- uh, is a digital <laughs> Instagram? award. Yes. I. Yeah. Let me say it. Is a digital award that we post on. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram. That's basically what it is. (laughs) Yeah, I love the way he pitched it too. Just like all of these like mysterious earthquakes are just going around. It's like, oh, what's causing it? Oh, it's the mole man. Oh, played by who? Danny DeVito. Oh, it's perfect. It sounded like you were having sex right there. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Uh, Who's playing? Oh, 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 it's perfect. (laughs) I'll redo it. 
This past week, Joseph and I and the podcast became tomato meter approved for Rotten Tomatoes. Woo! Woo! You don't want to celebrate? Okay. Fuck what? you. What? <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, yeah, yeah. Whoa, Go fuck you. The other day I was filling up my car at the gas station and I was just thinking like, I wonder how many of these people around here know that I'm on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> It's like, motherfucker, do you know how close to greatness you're standing right now? <laughs> like, when in a superhero film have we seen, like, a character fire energy like that straight from their hands? It was like... Sh- Iron Man. Well, no, that was, like, more like a pew, like a beam. <laughs> pew, pew. This is like... <laughs> I'm putting that in the blooper. <laughs> well, why? Okay. <laughs> that's fair. Are you adjusting your ball?